0: Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media.
0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the author of an upcoming tell-all book about working with Walt Mossberg, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com recodedecode Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Antonio Garcia Martinez, the author of the new book, Chaos Monkeys Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley. The book is a provocative tell all about business antics and personal life in the tech industry. Antonio was one of the first employees of Facebook's advertising team and oversaw the creation of its real time ad exchange platform. He also spent two years as an advisor at Twitter. Antonio, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Car, for You've having me. You hit
0: all the high spots. Uh,
1: I think, yeah, I think so. I'm okay. Sorry, yeah.
0: You have written what I would say is probably a not a nice book, um, oh, really? which I welcome completely. Okay. I enjoy that. Um, I've just, uh, we had Dan Lyons on for Disrupted, which I thought was a hysterical book. This one is quite a bit tougher. Talk a little about why you did it. And then we'll talk about being a startup and some of the things that people have issues with in the book. But in general, not many people tend to... Crap on Silicon Valley. And so... Oh,
1: well, I, you, know, you know, it's funny. I wouldn't I put think, it that way. I,
0: I don't I, think you do. Yeah, but I don't think people I do. people here are as thin-skinned as it gets. So talk right. a little bit about why you did this.
1: I mean, the book isn't nice because Silicon Valley isn't a nice place. That's okay. the reality. And right. I, I feel that I accurately portrayed world mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny a lot of the some of the negative reviews clearly it's not that they don't like my book they just like Silicon Valley mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just portrayed it accurately mm-hmm. um, so I think it's just probably like the most unfiltered sort of real take on what it is to go through the Silicon Valley roller coaster as, as I think one can write and and not you know get sued for libel
0: so let's um, at, that still make happen let's <laughs> talk a little bit about how you did it I mean because it's very detailed one of the things that's like really, you clearly were taking notes along the way and... oh yes
1: I knew all along I mean this is total Hunter s Thompson gonzo mode mm-hmm. unlike the Nixon bus and Nineteen sixty-eight or whatever. This is totally me, kind of going along for the ride, but understanding that ultimately it would be a book.
0: So you yeah. wanted to write a book. Oh, absolutely. About it from absolutely. the beginning, absolutely. absolutely. Um, let's start with your beginnings. Give people some background on on your career, and then we'll talk about the book itself. Right,
1: the career. <laughs> To think of it as a trajectory, okay. <laughs> sort of like a comet burning up in the atmosphere. Right.
0: You started um, on Wall
1: Street. R- right. So I start. So I was, you know, a hippy dippy physics student at Berkeley. I read Michael Lewis's *Liar's Poker*, which, right. obviously, I'm totally ripping off of in this book. Mm-hmm. Went to Goldman right at the height of the credit sort of, you know, uh, boom and then and then crash. Saw all all that happen, and then thought that tech would be like the one economic oasis amidst the, the sort of apocalypse. I got a job at this random company, a sort of later stage employee. Learned the ads business. Found co-founders. Went through Y Combinator, which is as exciting. Right. Most of your listeners probably know that. And then after 10 and months... And your
0: business in Y Combinator was a startup around ads, correct? Right.
1: It was, it was Google. So basically, it was, it was Google ads, those ads you get next to the search results for smaller businesses, mm-hmm. which is still an uncracked nut in the tech space. But as we learned, you know, not every business problem has a technical solution, which mm-hmm. is one of the lessons of the book. Anyway, after 10 months of literally every problem that befalls startups, co-founder issues, not raising money, raising money, getting sued, et cetera, uh, we sold to Twitter you know, for roughly $10 million after mm-hmm. 10 months, even though having essentially no revenue, and probably not a lot of prospects. Well,
0: that's normal, but go ahead.
1: Exactly. Well, in this world, (laughs) it's totally normal. If you go on radio... So what?
0: You you need to be really losing money if you want to be successful. Right,
1: right, right, right. But if you go on radio in Provo, Utah, or Nashville, the fact that you sell a money-losing company for $10 million is like, what what do you mean? So yeah, AgRock was nothing in the scheme of things, but I think it was very emblematic of of just what you said. Your typical aqua hire in which companies arguably overpay for a set of engineers and the company isn't really a company. It's basically a a job interview for a job that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten at at a company like Facebook. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, I always have to make the simple complicated. And I insisted, there were sort of competing offers between Facebook for me and and Twitter for the rest of the company. And I insisted for whatever reason, in in retrospect, actually probably a a bad decision, to go to Facebook and while the the rest of the company went to Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I landed it as Facebook's first ads targeting product manager, literally the guy that takes your data and turns it into money at Facebook a year before the IPO mm-hmm. as one of maybe 30 people on the ads. Right. Team.
0: So and since then, what have you been doing?
1: Well, I, I left Facebook in some of the drama that I think we're going to get mm-hmm. to probably in this interview. Uh, I joined as an advisor and eventually VP of product at Facebook's biggest ads partner, so the buy side of the sell side equation. Mm-hmm. And then, not to get, be a downer, but then my mother died, right? And mm-hmm. then, uh, which is one of the things that you have do. Well, read, you can be um, a downer about that. I can that. be a downer? Okay. Yeah, you're allowed. I'm allowed.
0: On that issue, certainly. Okay,
1: so my mother died. And then when you spend weeks on a cancer ward, you know, you start having these, these intimations of death and concentration of right. mortality. And I realized there's only two things on my bucket list that I really cared about. And one was finally writing this book that I had sort of toyed with and never mm-hmm. done. And so then I basically dropped all commitments, sold everything, moved to Europe for half the year uh, in Barcelona, Berlin, wrote the book proposal, sold the book, and then lived like the Unabomber in a small house up on the San Juan Islands of mm-hmm. Northwest Washington, mm-hmm. and did the book, and that's that's been it so far. Uh-huh. Yeah. the Unabomber, interesting, the Unab- interesting
0: yeah. choice of metaphor. <laughs> um, so, w- why did you want to write the book? I, it's really interesting because it's yeah. really tough. It's re- I like it. I, believe me, I just I think a lot of people. What happens is a lot of people say things to me or to others off the record or honestly, or it doesn't happen that often. Right. But sort of put a happy, shiny face on everything else, and you, this, there is no happy, shiny face in this story. I mean, you like who you like, and you don't, and you slam who you don't like, obviously.
1: Right. I think, yeah, Silicon Valley is really guilty of always having that sort of f- fairy tale ending, right? The good guy always wins in the end, and mm-hmm. there's always this sort of rah-rah boosterism to it. Um, I mean, Brad Feld, one of the VC critics of it, said, oh, there's so little optimism in it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like criticizing a war novel for not having enough patriotism. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I wonder what they'd say if they read All Quiet on the Western Front, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, why did I write this book? It'll sound grandiose, but but it's true. Uh, you know, I think we live in exceptional times. Silicon Valley, for, for all the fun you can make of it, is actually doing amazing things. And I, you know, I thought people a century or two from now would ask, you know, what happened when all of human knowledge is now on this mobile device that I'm holding in my hand, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when your social life gets mediated by companies like Facebook, right? I mean, to me, it's comparable to the Industrial Revolution. It's comparable to the printing press. It's that level of societal absolutely, Right. And so I, and then because it sounds, you know, presumptuous, but nobody was writing it. So I thought, well, if, you know, if not now, when? If not me, who? Why and,
0: do you think that is? Why do you think people don't? Oh, be, be,
1: because, well, here's where the nasty comes out, right? For, you know, for all their presumptions of being subversive and bohemian and counterculture, whatever. Mm-hmm. Silicon Valley people actually maintain these very well manicured exteriors. And frankly, everybody has too much to lose. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, no one wants to pay the opportunity cost of saying the truth. Right. And missing out on that on, you know, being employee 70 at the next Pinterest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, they're, yeah, they're, they've just got too much skin in the game and, and they really don't care about posterity. They don't think about the future. Well,
0: I think they're quite conservative. I've always yes, thought, you are, know, I said yes. that in a piece today about Peter Thiel. They it's are. like he is really quite an outlier. And People here, as much as they talk about disrupting, like society, the way it is. No, I
1: I go further than that in the book. I say, actually, Silicon Valley is very reactionary. Mm -hmm. Everyone doesn't realize it because they don't wear button-down shirts and whatever. And they
0: like the gays.
1: Right, exactly. But they are complete reactionaries Mm -hmm. and very conservative and not nearly as liberal and tolerant as they think they are. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, you've gotten dinged for it and deservedly because some of your lines in the book are... A uh, little misogynist, uh, I think, uh, to be fair, uh, very misogynist, actually. The one about trading women for guns, which was interesting, which is truthful. Well, you have to
1: put that quote in okay. context, right. I think. Uh, well, here
0: it is. If there was an apocalypse and you had a choice, your wife is not someone you would trade for guns. Is that correct?
1: Well, hold on. Well, right. I, could, well I could almost feel like I could probably okay. almost read it. I want you to read it. You want me to Okay, I've got it marked off. Good. Because this is thing is going to go on my tombstone, frankly. Yeah, it, it
0: is. Yeah, that's okay.
1: So this is about the woman that had my children, and I'm, I'm, this is like an, you know, I'm sort of praising her. The British woman. The British trader. Right. She had wild green eyes with unnatural red spots in their irises when you pulled close, reminiscent of that Afghan girl from the National Geographic cover. Her personality was flinty and rough, and as leathery as her skin. She had spent years between various jobs backpacking around the rougher parts of the world. She was an imposing broad-shouldered presence, six feet tall and bare feet, and towering over me in heels. Most women in the Bay Area are soft and weak, cosseted and naive, despite their claims of worldliness and generally full of shit. They have their self-regarding entitlement feminism and ceaselessly vaunt their independence, but the reality is, come the epidemic plague or foreign invasion, they become precisely the sort of useless baggage you'd trade for a box of shotgun shells or a jerry can of diesel. And this is the important thing to put in context. <laughs> I am contrasting this broad overgeneralization to the reality of the woman that I was falling in love okay. with. Okay? British trader, on the other hand, was the sort of woman who would end up a useful ally in that post-apocalypse, doing whatever work, be it carpentry, animal husbandry, or a shotgun blast to someone's back required doing. (laughs) Long story short, you wanted to tie your genetic wagon to the bucking horse of her bloodline. Okay. So I, if, <laughs> I if I'm going to be quoted, it'll be quoted I, in I, I,
0: I read the whole thing. Yeah. It was very funny. I couldn't yeah. believe someone said that. I've yeah. heard it said, but yeah. people won't say it in person. What's been the repercussions?
1: You mean? To the book. From her personally or just No, no, way? no.
0: She probably thinks you're an asshole. But what, what, <laughs> what, uh,
1: Actually, you'd be struck. No, no I
0: probably likes you, right? Because she's that kind of
1: lady. She showed up my reading yesterday yeah, with okay. the kids. Okay, all right. Um, uh, so no, I, she's the sort of person who's not constituted. Right. and, and with right. perfect. Right, can take air, it, and can, can, abso- it. And can take it, can take
0: Antonio's insults, and
1: and a lot more. So, like I said, it's the reviews have been all over the place. One has been, uh, you know, I don't like your book because it's everything that's wrong with Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and it's like,
0: so they're blaming you. It's for like,
1: that. It, well, of course, it's like looking at Picasso's Guernica and saying, oh, it's everything wrong with war. Well, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's the point exactly. Right. right. Like, and, and like you're saying, I'm only saying things that everyone says, mm-hmm. but just never says in public because right. they're unwilling. Right. Or out loud. Absolutely. And so, so that's been one side of the reaction that I think. Oh, they just don't like Silicon Valley. The reaction has actually been surprisingly positive. I thought I was literally incinerating my career. So you
0: were doing, you'll never eat lunch in this town yeah, again. Ex- ex- that That's
1: exactly part. was exactly Which what Which you Stephen kind of it.
0: is. It has that tone.
1: Right. Except I think in my case, I will eat lunch in this town. Right. <laughs> um, because the reaction from even old time Facebookers, who a lot of them, we've had, we've clashed online about Facebook because sure. they take criticism to the company very poorly. The reaction has been almost universally, obviously, sample bias, because they're the ones who still mm-hmm. talk to me. But you know, I might disagree with you with a detail here or there, or I might disagree in the high-level strategic interpretation of something, but basically, you got it right. Like, that's that's what it was mm-hmm. to be inside Facebook at that time, mm-hmm. and this is an unvarnished view of that world that's never been told. That's almost universally the response.
0: Have you had people say, how dare you who've done this? Not, no. No, not at all? Yeah, no. Right. So you're better. I face. agree with you. There is no, you'll never eat lunch in this town right. again.
1: right. I feel like I could kick them. As it says them. in the book, success forgives all sins. It and is, now that's a best-selling I book. I feel like I
0: could kick people re- in the teeth and they'd still have – I had someone well, – you, you
1: have a privileged position in this world though, right?
0: I suppose. It was – well, it, but how come? Like, well, the, because
1: everyone respects you and you're a great journalist.
0: Yes, but at the same time, someone just recently was interesting, was yelling at me about a story we wrote, one of our reporters wrote, and called us TMZ. And I was like, "Well, oh, TMZ no. is always right." So I'm, I yeah. take, and I like Harvey Levin, so I take that as a compliment. But like, it was screaming at me. And then two weeks later, said, "Let's have lunch." And I was like, <laughs> "All right, okay, that's fine." All right, when we get back, we're going to talk more about the book itself and Antonio's experiences. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Ring.com. There's a home burglary every 13 seconds. Most happen in broad daylight, with a burglar ringing your doorbell to make sure you're away before breaking in. Ring Video Doorbell has proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door, all using your smartphone. Now Ring, using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. The kit includes a Ring Video Doorbell for the front door and a Ring Stick-Up Cam, which is a wireless, weatherproof HD camera for keeping an eye on other parts of your property. Ring Video Doorbell and Stick-Up Cam both install in minutes, Working together, they provide 24-hour monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. I travel a lot, and I always want to know what my cats are up to because they are also burglars of a sort. For a limited time, my listeners get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. It's the lowest price anywhere. Go to ring.com recode now. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. Go to ring.com recode for $50 off. That's ring.com recode. Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Casper has made the perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com slash recode and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. We're here with Antonio Garcia Martinez, the author of Chaos Monkey. Will you explain the, the title?
1: Yeah. Everyone asks that. It's a good yeah. question. So imagine like a wild monkey rampaging through a data center, knocking over boxes, playing on cables. There's actually a piece of software called the Chaos Monkey that mm-hmm. was made by Netflix. And what it does is it literally goes and kills boxes in a data center. Mm-hmm. And they test whether they can still stream House of Cards or whatever. Right. right. So they make a mess. Right. They make a mess. And so the idea being Silicon Valley is like the zoo where the Chaos Monkeys are kept. And entrepreneurs are going around saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to have taxis anymore. We're going to have this app called Uber. Anybody can become a taxi driver. You know what? We're not going to have hotels anymore. Anyone with a spare bedroom can suddenly become a hotel keeper. And then society has to judge whether it's robust to that. And, you know, things like for example, I, I wrote part of the book in Barcelona, and mm-hmm. the entire Barcelona real estate market has been completely roiled by Airbnb and changed everything about right. central real. And so the chaos monkey visited Barcelona, right? And uh, you know, the Barcelona— So is
0: that a good thing or a bad thing? It what are you not, trying to—I'm uh, curious, because I, I was thinking I was trying to think <laughs> what you were trying to say, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing or just a thing.
1: I, I mean, it's a good thing for Brian Chesky, obviously, right, mm-hmm. and, and his investors. Um, is it a good thing for the Barcelones? No, not necessarily, in fact. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not convinced it is.
0: So the, the second part, obscene fortune and random failure— Talk about
1: that. Well, I mean, the obscene fortune is the, is the massive sums of money that are being made, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, FBX made Facebook half a billion dollars a year just with three guys. That that's what you could do if you get in the in the middle of the eyeball flow. Uh, and then you know, the random failures, <laughs> to some degree, I felt I kind of failed in a way mm-hmm. uh, in my in my. But also, random success, right? That's the other thing that I think um, Silicon Valley often lies to itself that it's a meritocracy. Really, yes. In the book, meritocracy is the propaganda that blesses a charade. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is that one person. It's not just a lottery, right? Obviously, there's some skill involved. But you'll have a $100 million exit and somebody will have zero. And I, I really can't believe that person looks at themselves in the mirror and says, Yeah, I'm 100 a million times better than that guy. I, I deserve this. They actually
0: do. And there's an app for that. I, I, I
1: I've met them, and I, yeah. I know they do. They're all but, of them, actually. Right, I know. It's really I, interesting. But that's right. But I it's, have trouble uh, doing that.
0: One of the things that's interesting is having known a lot of these people before, their fantastic right. fortunes and how they change is always a really interesting thing.
1: So, has anyone ever actually, now I'm asking you a question, yeah. has anyone ever actually ever dealt with it like a normal human? And yes. Says, yes. Oh, okay,
0: Several. Many. I would say uh, Pierre Omidyar is the same person he was at the beginning and the end. I mean, he's got the same issues, positive and negative, but he's still the same person. Hmm. Um, There's quite a few. There's there's more people that get licked up and down all day and really believe all the bullshit. It's more and more. (laughs) And (laughs) and then become weirdly eccentric in a way that's incredibly rude and, and think that's okay because everybody says yes all day. To them,
1: yeah. There was a, there was an epigraph in the book that said, "Fortune doesn't change men; it unmasks them." Right? Yes, and I think that's probably absolutely. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean. there's there's also a poem, um, and I'm blanking on the uh, Louise Glück. It was about Circe and the uh, the men of Odysseus and Odysseus, and she says, "I didn't, I didn't make them pigs. Some men are pigs. I just showed them to be that." It was right. something like that. It's yeah. a great line like that. Oh. So let's talk a little bit about that idea of the farce of Silicon Valley and how it displays itself. Is is, is that important to the success of, you know, you were, you were talking about everything is a transformational technology right now, and it really is what's mm-hmm. going on. Is it a necessary part of this, or is it just the bullshit part?
1: I mean, I think tactically, yes. To be a success, you have to seem a success. Everyone's always killing it. Every graph is up into to the right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm playing the same game with the book, right, by splashing bestseller on it, et cetera, right. which it is. But, uh, you know, is it really necessary, this, this constant – you know, I think it's one of these things. The Silicon Valley vibe where everyone's always killing it and, and people put huge sums of money over stupid bullshit – You know, it's like one of those things, it's like democracy or religion. If everyone believes in it, it sort of becomes true, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact that we have this collective delusion that, yeah, you can write a $50,000 check that would be worth $5 million later if it becomes Google or Uber it is an important delusion to have. And, and mm-hmm. the reality is that other countries, everyone would love to have what we have, these problems we'd like to have. And so, you know, if you go to Barcelona, the city is investing huge sums of money trying to recreate Silicon Valley. Somehow. Right, they all are. And, right, and they think if they somehow have co-working spaces with exposed brick and industrial lighting and little coffee machines, it's like this cargo cult. Like the magic will just happen. Right. And they don't realize, like, it's the delusion. They don't realize they
0: need bulletproof coffee, is really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what they need is wealthy people willing to spray money on 23-year-old kids with an idea. That's what mm-hmm. they need. And mm-hmm. that's a, that culture is impossible to import. So so, so what
0: is yeah. what is the bad part and the good part of that? You talk a lot about the bad parts of right. it, you know, the arrogance, the the waste, the the lying to yourself, that kind of stuff. What's the good part of that?
1: I mean, the only universal moral good I think in the book was early on when we got sued. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's clear that there are rules. I say there's no rules. I mean, there are certainly some guiding principles, and that I think particularly principled individuals will follow those rules even to their own detriment, right? Mm-hmm. So, like w- Paul Graham, who I, you know, obviously right. lo- love a lot as, as a startup guru. Yes. And I, he gets I, a good. Right. Movie. I know opinions are often mixed in them or whatever, but yeah. in, in my opinion, he was the noblest sort of character in the book, mm-hmm. and that he he literally burned relationships to protect us, not because we were particularly promising or anything, but just that's you're one of the family, and this is just how it was. And if I have to walk into Mayfield and say, you know, screw you, then I will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he was willing to do that, mm-hmm. as was Sam Altman, even Ted Wang from... Ted uh, is great. Ted is great. Ted right? is Kara's uh, lawyer. Tell him apologies, because we never talked after the <laughs> deal, and I think he's probably still pissed off. At oh, him. he's and nice. I'm sure he's way over. It. But anyway, I'm, he's the one guy that we maybe didn't do that right by at the uh-huh. end. But, um, but, you know, he also basically offered to basically lend us the money for the lawsuit, a terrible deal for him, mm-hmm. because he didn't want some big guy beating up the little guy. And right. so there is some idealism with it as well.
0: What are you doing now, actually? What is your...
1: Oh my God. It's a great great question. I'm on a boat. Right. So, the other thing that I met, my mother died. So, the other thing on the bucket list was sailing around the world alone on a sailboat, which which sounds ridiculous. I saw the
0: Robert Redford movie. I wouldn't want to do (laughs) that. But go ahead. That's
1: a great movie, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, something like that. people dying. Yeah. Well, he wasn't well prepared. Anyhow. So, or at least an ocean, I don't know about the world, but definitely, you know, uh, Australian back or Polynesian back sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that so that's what I'm working on now. And I and as I mentioned in the book, I you know, there was two different boats that I fitted out for that and then kind of let rot away mm-hmm. like so many relationships and my children and all the mm-hmm. rest for the sake of the glory of Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's time that you know I'm getting a little old and so it's time to actually go ahead and do that. And so I think after this whole PR mayhem is over, I'm gonna focus on that. You
0: don't want to start another startup because you have clearly got startup in your blood here. No,
1: that yeah, but then but then I have to go back into sociopathic mode. I have to go into like sociopathic <laughs> i have to uh-huh. become like American Psycho again, uh-huh. which I absolutely was. Uh-huh. And like, I don't know if I want to be that again.
0: Interesting. Every, I Just recently I've had a lot of lunches with people like, like you, and they're saying, oh, now I want to be nicer. And one of them was taking ayahuasca and that suddenly became nicer. That's the new thing, right?
1: Right, the $10,000 ayahuasca Oh, I know. They're like, a... you want to do
0: it with me? I'm like, never in the <laughs> fucking world would I like to do <laughs> drugs with you. But, but it was interesting <laughs> that there is this little moment of a lot of people talking about that idea that you have to be a psychopath to be successful.
1: I, that's absolutely true. I mean, if, if you look at, like, the textbook definition of sociopathy, uh, you know, a glib superficial charm, risk-taking behavior, sexual promiscuity, like physically risky behavior, treating people like objects, that, that describes about, like, over half the people I know like okay. not in Silicon Valley. Okay.
0: Okay. Excellent. So, so you talked about a little bit. I helped you write this book. I don't yes. recall. I didn't do anything. I, I
1: assume you probably don't remember, but I mentioned that in the email. So yeah, no, no, no. You remember. Three years ago, mm-hmm. I wrote a little chunk tip of what became the book around the MoPub acquisition by yes. Twitter. Yes. And then you, out of nowhere, emailed me and said, you, like, dragged me into your office mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, yes, Recon's office on that. second, And you said, you should take writing seriously. You basically lectured me and said, you need to take writing Because you're seriously. a good writer. That's right. why. And, yes. then you, and then you just kicked me out the door and that was it. Okay. And then, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, that and my mother's death, like, okay, so maybe I should make a go of it. So, you yeah, know what? you yeah. You're a good writer. That's yeah. why
0: I remember that now because yeah. uh, there's so many bad writers. And when you see a good right. piece of writing, you, you're like, please, please do something about it.
1: Right. So, I mean, the hope is that, even if I didn't burn my bridges in Silicon Valley, you know, maybe there's a second book in me. And I think it'd be interesting to have some sort of career like that. I so think.
0: talk about a few of the stories from the book because there's tons in yeah. the minute. What are the ones that stick out for you? And you, please read if you want to read. Uh, yeah, I can.
1: I, mean, I can tell you what. So I held, I held a poll to see what I should read at my reading at yeah. Passage uh, yesterday. So I can tell you the winners there. Um, the final Cheryl meeting where it's decided Facebook is not going to do real-time bidding and that, like mm-hmm. basically my career is over. The passage I read about the famous, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the famous sexist paragraph, the story about homebrewing at Facebook, I was illegal. Mm -hmm. And then I blew up the plumbing and flooded Sucks Desk. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, well, that's the the famous one. The Cheryl meeting with the the pussy filter. Mm -hmm. You remember that one? Mm -hmm. Have you gone to that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the way, that was not my doing. Somebody else did that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just to be absolutely clear. And then what was the fifth one? Oh, there was the Boz meeting. Boz is the guy who heads ads. And there was yes. this really awkward meeting, which it's clear that like heads will start rolling. Right. And there was this really ambiguous meeting with him in which it was like really weird. And that, that <laughs> kind of presage, that sort of presaged the end. So, yeah.
0: Did you think it was going to end like this or did you have hopes when you were at Facebook?
1: So that's the weird thing. I so was... looking,
0: I'm saying looking back now, it's different than when you were there.
1: Right. No, no, so, no, of course. And I try to make that, I mean, I try to present what I was thinking at the time, not necessarily what I right, in reflection. Right. Exactly. which is why I come off so fucking unhinged in the book i was unhinged, I was unhinged <laughs> I at like the time <laughs> yeah well yeah
0: you know it's sort of You're very, a more t- sophisticated it's very Reader. ted cruzian you went there you it's, went there <laughs> you know cruz-ian, what i mean yes. you like a person who goes there <laughs> yeah. he did he goes there yeah, i can't believe yeah. i like ted cruz this morning but i do right even though i hate ted cruz
1: right oh right yeah the, the one speech at the convention yeah, oh and yeah the, and even this I morning almost he's collapsed. still doing it yeah yeah he's yeah. still it. i like yeah, it it's like well it takes rocks um so um yeah i mean the weird thing is you know the tragedy i guess of it is that you know i went in as a total mercenary get financial independence and right. what I call fuck you money what everyone calls fuck you money right? right and then at the end I ended up like falling in love with the girl I mm-hmm. my product mm-hmm. and actually risking my career to make that vision a reality right. because I came so enamored of that vision and so invested in what we had built right. and then you know l- had to lay on my sword for it and, and literally pissed off everyone at Facebook to support this vision mm-hmm. and that due to both political reasons and, and whatever even though it was a you know fairly successful product mm-hmm. that, you know Facebook just decided that was not the future for. Do you charitable. think
0: you're a mercenary really or is that Somewhat of an act, because that's what you do. You end up doing that thing.
1: Yeah, that's a th- I think. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I'm like it's a total cliche, but it's like that hardball old detective or soldier who thinks he's this total mercenary, but then right. en- it, well, it's like Rick in, in in Casablanca, yeah, who ends up who thinks he's a total cynic, but at the end of the day, well, mm-hmm. like I say in the book, every inside every cynic lies a heartbroken idealist. So it's, right. I think it's the heartbroken idealist actually. Yeah.
0: All right, well, we'll get to that, and then where you think things are going next okay. on our next segment, and also what you think of Facebook now. And I don't know what they think of you. I haven't talked to them, but I'll you should. Find out. I will. I will. <laughs> Ever wonder how these ads on podcasts work? A startup pays a host like me to read a script about their disruptive product or service. Because we know you're choosing to listen and that means you'll probably, at the very least, give any product or service you mention serious consideration. But if you are one of those startups who want to advertise on a podcast, where do you start? That's where Oxford Road comes in, a leading advertising agency in consumer tech. Companies like Dollar Shave Club, MeUndies, Blue Apron, and more started with Oxford Road. Oxford Road engineers ads to perform, they buy media based on over $100 million in performance data, and their world-class analytics and attribution methods give you confidence in every line of performance, just like digital. Go to OxfordRoad.com slash scale, set up a free analysis, and find out what it would cost you to test ads on a podcast, and maybe the next script I'll be reading will be yours. Go to OxfordRoad.com scale right now. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week?
1: Hi, Kara. I just had a very heady conversation with Virginia Heffernan, who's been doing really smart writing about the Internet and culture at large for I don't know, 20 years. I hope she's okay with me saying that. Uh, she's got a new book out called Magic and Loss. It's a very smart, again, smart book, about how to sort of think about the Internet as a sort of art form super interesting. I know it sounds like it's a very academic conversation. We actually talk about Twitter fights and stuff like that as well. And of course, because it's a podcast, we talked about Steve Jobs, MP3s and lossless stuff. It's cool. It's a big rabbit hole. I suggested that maybe this is a good conversation to listen to Stone. Virginia did not endorse that. That's up to you.
0: You can find Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Antonio Garcia Martinez, who has written a book that I really am enjoying, Chaos Monkeys, Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley. Like Dan Lyon's book, Disrupted, it is sort of a different take on Silicon Valley, which most of the books are celebratory, patting themselves on the back, saying how wonderful and disruptive and innovative companies are. This does talk about that those issues, but in a much harder light. How do you look at Silicon Valley right now, Antonio? You know, looking, the prism of this book is... This crazy fucking circus, really, right. pretty much, and look at all the freaks.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm actually not maybe quite a cynical. I think uh, not it's to talk very cynical. About, not to talk both. about somebody. Well, don't I think own I th- it. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's a, okay. It's a little world-weary. I mean, I, but I, I want to distinguish from Dan Lyons, who was like mm-hmm. universally negative. Mm-hmm. Like he was the universal troll. He okay. was negative about everything and just right. literally hated everything about it. He's funny though. Right, but I, I don't think I'm actually totally negative on it. In right. fact, I think no, a lot you of, like
0: certain people you right, like and yeah. you don't like certain people. And I'm you actually
1: know? very pro Facebook and, and I think some parts of it as well. Um. Mm you know, I, I look at this crazy circus and I think, well, if all this bullshit needs to exist for one Elon Musk to emerge, mm-hmm. or I'm naming him as a prominent but there's several mm-hmm. others whose careers I follow. And, and given how disruptive things like SpaceX and Tesla are going to be, then, you know, maybe it's actually worth it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think it's you know the problems in Silicon Valley are problems that any other country in the world would love to have right. with their startup ecosystem. Right? I'd so. imagine
0: the Renaissance was not without its assholes. I, I,
1: there you go. Correct. Ex- exactly. I'm just guessing. Correct. Yes. Correct. I'm
0: guessing the American Revolution. Right.
1: And this is the I think Thomas Paine was right. kind of
0: a jerk. I don't know.
1: So right. I don't so so I have to the use idea. to use your metaphor, this is like Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh-huh. He also was knocked out of court and was trying to curry favor. And he wrote a book. And so that was the.
0: So let's talk about the companies where they are right now. How do you look at Silicon Valley? What period are we in? We've had lots of people come in and talk about this. I had Eric Weiner talk about. Sort of these innovation cities that then hmm. die off event over history, historical time. Huh. Where do you see Silicon Valley right now, as a place, an analog place, and an idea?
1: Well, I mean, I've been calling the top of the bubble for the past five years, and mm-hmm. yet here we are. Yeah, you know, a one sometimes bedroom. a
0: broken clock is right. With right. Is. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not going to be that guy. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, what's what's a one better the mission cost these days? Five uh-huh. six k a month. Uh-huh. Um, where do I see it? I mean, I think what's unique about Chaos Monkeys* is that it captures that period in in Facebook's life cycle in which it was going from scrappy startup where you could blow up the plumbing and and nobody would care Mm -hmm. to it being kind of like a bigger company political thing. I'm not going to name names, but if you read the book where some of the characters in the latter part of the book come into play, people who, you know, couldn't run a company if they're Lives depended on it, mm-hmm. but can operate in that sort of nether, re, you know, that region between Big sort of company. the, the re, re, right between the sort of founder level who created it and the sort of junior level sort of guy, and they just weasel their way into the sort of middle management layer. And yeah, I've met there. weasels before. Right. Right. Walt and
0: I used to have weasels at the at the Wall Street Journal. We're like Weasel One, Weasel Two, oh, we really? had nicknames for all of them.
1: Right. So watching the weasels, I wouldn't say necessarily take over, but become important. I think is is well, that's
0: a, that's a familiar thing. Like the people at early right. Google talk about that. And,
1: exactly. I mean, and yet, well, right. So, like Machiavelli getting back to your Florentine example, you know, he, he cites very specific examples about, you know, the Ghibellines or whatever faction, but the point is that that's a general principle, right? So th- another thing, for example, the two-tier system inside Facebook, how there were some who were, like, really wealthy, right? Like, the very early employees. And then people now who, by any normal standard, are wealthy, but, you know, really aren't. They're, like, Silicon looking the middle class, right? And there's this huge rift between those who are, like, multi-millionaires and have private aviation, and those who are still wondering who their kids, who they can afford Stanford or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a, and there was a huge, obviously I'm in the latter camp, right? But um, And that was the, a huge divide in the company. And I understand that's also very typical at Google and other Mm -hmm. companies as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just, I I think, again, my story wasn't necessarily important in in any sense of the word, but I think it's extraordinarily representative, right? I think a lot of Silicon Valley is is what I portray in Chaos Monkey.
0: Where are they right now, a company? Like, obviously, Facebook is one of the, considered one of the more successful companies in very good shape. Mark has burnished his reputation rather significantly. Right.
1: I mean, the stock price has quadrupled since I've left, Mm -hmm. um, which much to my consternation because I didn't hold my shares. So it's hard to criticize his leadership. And I think you're right. He has done a great job. But what I've heard, and this is obviously here, okay, it's not direct experience, sure. but since I've left, you know, obviously I have my little network of spies internally. And, and one guy who actually did very well, and, you know, he put up with, like, the bullshit and had a long career there and rose to be head of a part of a thing. I won't say more because it'll identify him. Mm-hmm. But he actually said, you know, I think Facebook might get to Microsoft before Google does. Like, to get to the Microsoft uh. level, I'm like, wow. And this guy was pretty raw, raw. Meaning
0: big or irritating? Yeah, uh,
1: you know, just big, clunky, slow, mystic, always missing the, doing the fast follow, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And so I was really shocked to hear that things had ossified to the point where, like, it was approaching Microsoft. Is that
0: inevitable? No, no, it
1: absolutely is, and 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 Facebook is aware of it, right? Like, as I cite...
0: no, but I'm saying, is it inevitable with every company that you you get Microsofted?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, the dementia, and Alzheimer's will happen to us all, right, if we live long enough. So, yeah. Is
0: there any company you see now around that makes you think otherwise?
1: No, of course they're all gonna, they all go public, and everyone becomes the centimillionaire. They're all Mm -hmm. kind of. So the
0: money is what's corrupting.
1: I think the complacency. The I think it's the, 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 the nature of the incumbency. Like I, I cite one of the chapters as a super failed ad product they shipped, which is ridiculous. Like no one actually ever stopped to ask an advertiser, like, would you actually ever spend money on this? Right. And that level of arrogance, right, is bred I would bred say the them. bots
0: rollout is similar. I've heard a lot of complaints about the bots rollout, oh, for okay. example. Yeah. Similar thing. It's like it didn't quite work, but right. seems there's a lot of PR around it. And eventually probably will work, but it was interesting. So let's talk about the the, the lessons you learned. You have a lot of lessons in this book. Let's talk about a few of them that you think are most important for entrepreneurs, because a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this program. What do you think, from your perspective, the key things to keep in mind are?
1: I mean, I have that section with like my entrepreneurial commandments in there somewhere, which I can pull up. I don't have it marked. So this is, I mean, commandments. This is my distillation of what I went through. Yes, I don't think you're Moses. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Here's the tablet. Yeah. Um, Investors are people with more money than time. Mm-hmm. Employees are people with more time than money. Entrepreneurs are simply the seductive go-betweens, <laughs> which is true. You're literally joining investors with employees because one has more time, one has more money, and you're, you're just the fast-talking guy in between. That's, that's all you are. Startups are business experiments performed with other people's money. That's, that's exactly what it is. You're literally just doing an experiment, and it might succeed or fail. Marketing is like sex. Only losers pay for it, which is totally <laughs> true. Um, and you know, the, the only bad news is, is no news when, when you're an entrepreneur. Company culture is what goes without saying, and, and in case that's unclear, if people have actually asked me about that. What that means is, in the same way that you know your own religious or you know national culture sure. or just the things you do without people having to openly say it, mm-hmm. it's, it's similar about company culture. Of
0: course, Silicon Valley is obsessed with the idea of defining their culture.
1: Right, which often means that, in fact, the culture doesn't exist. Because right. <laughs> if you have to define it, then, in fact, it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. There are no real rules, only laws. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there really are no rules in Silicon Valley. Success forgives all sins. That is Absolutely true. 100%. As I, you know, I I mentioned examples of of greats like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all the various sins they committed when they were younger and Mm -hmm. nobody cares anymore. Meritocracy is propaganda we use to bless the charade. And that's, you know, billion dollar people aren't... call it a meritocracy. That's that's good. You can use it.
0: (laughs) Please spread it around far and wide.
1: Greed and vanity are the twin engines of bourgeois society. I mean, if you think about it, almost every startup exploits either one of the other vices. Most managers are incompetent and maintain their jobs via inertia and in politics. I definitely saw that in bigger companies. Yeah. I mean, he's there because he's there. Mm-hmm. And it would just be too costly to sort of fire him or her or whoever. Again, the of, weasel principle. The, the weasel, yeah. Lawsuits are merely expensive feints and a well-scripted conflict narrative between corporate entities. So we got sued, which one of the big conflicts. And like, we, like I think most normal people who don't run into trouble with the law, they get completely shit scared whenever legal mm-hmm. misives start flying Hence around. Hence
0: Donald Trump, who loves right. the lawsuit.
1: Right. But the reality is, assuming you can afford it and maybe even if you can't, it, it actually doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing really happens, which is why – that's why I publish this book. At the end of the day, they can sue me, if anything. It, it'll guarantee this will be 10 weeks in the bestseller list. So they do. <laughs> it's like, great. you want to sue me? Go ahead. If Facebook is that stupid, then Don't they ask can go too ahead. much. Yeah, They're, well. you
0: know, see gawker. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, well, I didn't piss off anybody that yeah. much. Capitalism is an amoral farce in which every player, investor, employee, entrepreneur, consumer, is complicit, which I think ultimately is my cynics lesson, which I think – Capitalism makes beasts of us all mm-hmm. and is fundamentally a complete amoral sort of charade. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to really believe in the sort of, you know, capitalism as self-actualization, which is sort of the principle of Silicon Valley. Like, I you know, I go to a yoga meditative retreat and then I do a startup and they're both supposed to improve me as a person, right? Mm-hmm. I find it really hard to believe that yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was just making fun of Mark Andreessen, who I always called me the chief bear hugger of capitalism. Whenever anybody has a criticism of Silicon Valley, he's like, capitalism worked today. And I'm like... OK, you know, there's not a choice between the two necessarily, but right. you can somehow insult something without having to completely insulted. So taking that idea that this enormous amount of money, this capitalism that has worked so well, is there a better way? Let's finish up on that. Uh, No, no.
1: Or not. No, I always think of the quote, the famous Churchill quote that democracy is the worst way to organize societies except for all the other systems. And so capitalism is literally the worst way to distribute, you know, the means of production and resources except for all the other ways. But Mm -hmm. we should treat it as that. It's a necessary evil kind of like you know plumbing or something or like mm-hmm. a toilet on a boat or something that it's really horrible when you get into the muck of it but like I guess what's the alternative
0: right so what is something going to change here do you see it changing or just dying off
1: oh at a higher level yeah I mean I, I think I'm this is a totally cliche opinion in Silicon Valley, right? But the whole thing about universal basic income, I mean, the reality is like I go to YC Demo Day and like literally every company is coding somebody out of a job or automating somebody out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. Literally one after the other. Right. And I think once we get things like autonomous vehicles and truck driving is no longer the most popular job in like 10 US states and the only way for non-college grads to pay for a family, once that just goes away, we're going to see either dictatorship tyranny or basic income in the United States.
0: Yeah, I think it's a big issue that is, is, I'm trying, we're doing a, a, a code enterprise work thing. And one of the big issues I want to talk, about is this idea of Silicon Valley eliminating jobs, decimating them, not replacing them. And they always go, well, there used to be stables and horses, and then there were cars, and it just changed. And I was like, I don't think you're making things. Like, I don't think you're replacing, I think you're actually decimating. That's right. And, you know, Larry Page has brought this up several times and sort of come back upon it. But many, many people have talked about this issue. Does Silicon Valley have a responsibility to change that? Or is it just the way it's going to be if computers do?
1: I think it does, which is why I think Silicon Valley is, here I am, sound like a YC fanboy again. But, you know, Sam Altman is funding this experiment in universal basic income in Oakland. Yes. And so I think they do have, yeah. I mean, I think one of the the biggest, to me, criticism of Silicon Valley is they have no sense of civic duty whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like we're living, to get back to your example, the equivalent of like the Elizabethan age or like Florentine, you know, Mm -hmm. Italy, North Italy in the 15th century, this flourishing of technology and money. And yet, you know, I don't exactly see a bunch of schools or roadways or anything being built in the city or. Or for a greater society, other than these companies, and yeah, I think they do have a debt, and then they and they should feel a debt. So, decided. how do you
0: get them to do that, besides writing books?
1: The same way they got Dale Carnegie to build libraries all over the United States. You, mm-hmm. they come like in New York, you walk around, and every hospital or school has some rich guy's name on it. And he might have been some hedge fund piece of shit, but you know what? He paid like Carl Icahn. But you know what? He paid for a hospital on mm-hmm. the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. And so you make. I mean, I think Benioff is good at this, right? And Zuckerberg actually funded the public hospital. Mm-hmm. You make them compete for social prestige, not with the next Tesla or the next company, but the fact that they actually funded a hospital mm-hmm. or a school. And then you're going to watch them clamor to actually build these things.
0: So who do you admire? Do you admire Mark Zuckerberg? Do you admire? Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Well, I think he's a genius. Yeah, I say so in the book. I think he mm-hmm. is a genius. I mean, I don't, I don't admire him in the sense that I'd want to be him necessarily, but I, I think, he, yeah, he is. A, he's absolutely a genius. I mean, I read, you know, as as much as he is a fanboy, Andreessen, I think, is worth reading. PG is worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the people that I admired are the PG people that... Is Paul Graham. Paul Graham, Graham, sorry, yeah. yeah. I mean, the people that I, aside from Paul Graham, that I admired was sort of, again, the man in the arena, like the random startup entrepreneur, often who came from a nothing background like I did. I didn't have any network or anything. Mm-hmm. And just trying to make it happen and struggling and risking his entire life and, you know, an aging five years in one year that you do in, in, in startup life, trying to make something happen. I, I felt that guy in the, in the arena was sort of, to me, the hero or guy that I admired.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you could, very last question, if you could sort of reach down and change one thing about the system... We talk to, a lot about how the system works, right? but not solutions to the system that uh, doesn't
1: work. Right. God, that feels like it's above my pay grade <laughs> as a <laughs> critic. <laughs> come on, Antonio. <laughs> Try harder. Uh, how would I fix things? I mean, I mean the usual people usually say things like sexism or racism or whatever, but that's yeah. not really my hang-up.
0: Well, do you think diversity is an important thing That Oh, to God.
1: Probably? It's going to be 15 minutes left. In no, the no, 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 I no. Way. We
0: weren't going to go. But I'm just saying. Uh,
1: do I think it's no, – I, I mean, it depends what you talk about when you mean diversity. Do you mean – diversity as it's broadly understood, like ethnic and cultural diversity. Mm-hmm. I worked at Facebook surrounded by people in which I was the only one who spoke English as a, as a first language and born in the United States. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think diversity with a little d is a problem mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Is diversity with a big d, i.e. what we actually mean by diversity, i.e. certain minorities who have historically been disenfranchised or discriminated against as a problem? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I think it's a big problem. I, I think it's a big issue that it, I think there's a lot of subtleties there and emotions tend to, Absolutely. Run, hot, tend to run really hot. I, I'll, I'll cite one example. Um, someone in the team recently shared a photo it's almost historical in mid 2011 half the ads team was about 15 20 people actually core infra which was basically literally how the data meets the money at, at like the engine mm-hmm. room of facebook money machine and as you'd imagine, it, you know, it was mostly Chinese, Russians, and Indians, right? I was literally the only person born in the U.S. there, and the only person who spoke probably English as the first language. And yet, strictly speaking, even though I don't consider myself really that, given my last name, I'd be considered diversity, capital D person, right? Yeah. But by any normal standard of diversity, clearly, I don't think there's a diversity problem on that team. And so I think I think one of the sort of misconceptions that when people attack it, and I, and I see often this in text, right? It's like, oh, there's no diversity, therefore it's run by white males. It's like, I don't think that's actually true, right? It can be run by other people other than white males, even though you are not, you don't have diversity, capital D, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's
0: an interesting thing. I hadn't
1: thought of it that way. I mean, well, compare... So the other startup book that I sort of admired and modeled was a book called Startup by Jerry Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I remember. Yeah. That's, I think it's really good, actually. And um, But it's 20 years old. Right. And if you look at the Silicon Valley that he describes, that, that really was a white male sort of old boys network thing, which I think would be hard to break into. But since then, you know, changes have happened. And, you know, look, the reality is... People of Chinese, Indian, or Persian background run like half of Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. And in that world, it's a little bit hard to claim that oh, there's diversity is this major problem. Like journalists who say that, I'd love to look at their newsrooms and compare their newsroom. I would
0: agree with that to Facebook I would agree with that. and
1: see who has more diversity I there. Would... And I, I don't think Silicon Valley would be the first on your list of industries that need to change.
0: No, that's true. Again, answer my last question: What Sir, would you change?
1: What would I change? I mean, I, I do think that there is. I, I wouldn't say necessarily call it sexism and racism, I think one can call it that. There's a lot of like meism, right? Like I, I mentioned in the book, in the interview process, for example, uh, there's this notion of cultural fit, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always this... Standards. St- yeah. Right, right. Which, I, I mean, can mean something real, because company culture in a company like Facebook does exist. But often, it's just a little loophole for things actually like sexism and racism and mm-hmm. basically like meism, right? Like everyone, and everyone's little tribal story, they're the center of the universe, right? And so if you're some little, you know, affluent white kid from Stanford, like, well, of course that's the model of what, you know, a yeah. community should be like, and you hire people like that. And then like your the little loop that you get into that is cultural fit. And so I think some way to actually screen for cultural fit or maybe actually just create it. So Facebook had this, it was literally called boot camp, right? And if you think about it, it's like, you know, the army or the Marines, right? Takes in whoever and, and makes does. out of it a fighting force. So instead of maybe trying to find this magical cultural fit that you think other people have, you make m- it. maybe you actually have a strong enough culture that you actually mold people into that, yeah. rather than actually. I'd like to for see it. them,
0: you know, on a boot camp. That would be interesting. Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh, well, that would that would be amazing. That's
0: a fascinating idea. Actually, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Antonio, thank you for coming. I'm glad I urged you to write this. I really enjoyed the book.
1: Thank you, Cara, for doing so. For no problem.
0: And thanks for coming by. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with TV star Kim Kardashian, Coursera CEO Daphne Kohler, and former Twitter CEO Dick Costolo, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try out one of our other podcasts. Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find the audio from our events at the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.